0: So uh, this is it. The end. Uh, I'm not sure about you, but reaching the end of something that I've been invested in for quite some time offers this weird combination of like fulfillment and relief, there's sometimes a twinge of disappointment, delight all at once, all these things going on. I've experienced it every time I've completed running a marathon or finished reading a novel. Uh, I'm a bit of a Star Wars nerd, so I'm already starting to anticipate all the feels that are going to come this December with the final chapter of that saga. Oftentimes, right, the the journey is as fun as, if not even better than the destination itself. Sometimes the destination even becomes secondary, almost a letdown compared to the adventures that brought us there. Uh, Now, I hope the conclusion that I offer in today's sermon isn't a letdown, but we have indeed reached our destination on this pilgrim's journey through the Psalms of Ascent's. This journey that started all the way back on the first Sunday in May, if you can believe that. We've invested 15 weeks in this, and Eugene Peterson has served as our chief guide through Psalms 120 through 134 with his masterful reflection on discipleship called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which has kind of provided the, the guiding framework for our sermons during this series. And you'll remember that these Psalms were written and compiled with the intent that they would serve to aid a pilgrim in the ancient Near East traveling to the holy city of Jerusalem to worship their God, Yahweh, in the temple there. And these psalms provided a companion on that journey. Along the way, they're highlighting sites and important facets of our life with God. We've seen how these psalms draw our attention to everything from repentance to worship, joy, service, hope, community, so much more besides. And Peterson has rightly made the connection that pilgrimage is an apt metaphor for the life of discipleship, which is why he subtitled the book Discipleship in an Instant Society, because we want quick and easy answers everywhere, including our journey of faith. But God has something completely different in mind for us, this never dull, always surprising path of adventure, one that alone can truthfully promise us life and life to the full. And so it's, it's been a long journey, both figuratively and literally. But when we reach the end, the goal, the destination, as, as we do today in this final psalm, the question is, what do we do now that we're here? And what should our response be? What is our proper posture when our pilgrimage finds its desired end in the very presence of God? Well, we're about to find out. And Psalm 134 will guide the way. Uh, But first, a brief word from our other guide on this pilgrim journey. Uh, This from none other than Dave's theological man crush, G.K. Chesterton. Uh, And Chesterton, you may know, has a reputation for reflecting deeply on the important things of life, seemingly leaving like nothing untouched, uh, no stone unturned. And in one such reflection, Chesterton famously observed, poets have been mysteriously silent on the subject of cheese. Cheese. You heard that right. Uh, And that quote actually has no connection to today's sermon, but I felt obliged to close with a quote from Chesterton and not let Dave down. And I like cheese a lot too. I mean, we spent 13 hours at the fair on Thursday, and cheese curds once again were my highlight this year. So I get it, GK. I get it. I'm with you. Um, But, cheese and Chesterton aside, uh, as we land the plane today, as we arrive at the end of this pilgrim's journey, what do we discover? Well, the psalmist doesn't make it difficult for us to figure it out. In fact, despite the incredibly brief and perfunctory nature of this psalm, there is one word or concept that shows up not once, not twice, but three times in the course of these three short verses. And that word is. Anyone? Bless. But we'll, we'll give we'll give like partial credit for the Lord, but bless the word bless is repeated three times in this psalm. Now, being honest with you, I get a little queasy using the word bless or blessed. It gets thrown out, I think, a bit too lightly these days. I mean, hashtag blessed anyone, and I don't know if I've ever used that hashtag in an an unironic fashion. I I would maybe put it with a caption, you know, of, of me eating cheese curds, but uh, I don't know if I've used the word bless in, in everyday conversations. It feels a bit cliche every time I use it, or, or maybe even self centered at worst. And actually, I have a friend who has almost a visceral reaction when she hears people using the word blessed because to her, she, she almost never hears it used in connection to the things that God actually really seems to care deeply about or, or blesses. People tend to call themselves blessed when they receive a great parking spot at Costco, or, or maybe when they get their dream home, right? Those are, those are good things, and, and few of us you know, would claim that we you know, follow health and wealth, gospel kind of stuff. And yet, oftentimes, our general use of the word blessed and our understanding of blessing maybe indicate otherwise. But do we really want to equate our material standing as an indicator of how blessed we are, right? I mean, are those who live in dire circumstances, their situations not blessed, by God, has God withheld his hand of blessing by those that we might call the least of these? And what do we make of, of the kind of people that Jesus refers to as blessed in his Beatitudes? I mean, maybe there is more to the hashtag blessed life than meets the eye. And, and Psalm 134 helps us discover how. You see, in the Hebrew, there are two different words that we often see translated as blessed in our English translations. Uh, the first is a share, which generally describes what we often think of as blessed. It's, it's the sense of a put together life marked by almost this blissful sense of well being. The word a share could just as easily be translated as happiness. Sometimes it is. Uh, it's, it's the kind of blessing you might expect Joel Osteen to preach about on any given Sunday. Think of a share as the tourist's desired kind of blessing. As I say that, I want want us to remember the distinction that Dave drove home at the very start of this sermon series, this distinction between being a tourist or being a pilgrim. Because let's be real, as those of us who globally speaking live in the top 1%, we're far more versed in engaging travel through the lens of tourism than we are through pilgrimage. I mean, we, we travel places to indulge in their beauty, And the experiences they offer, the relaxation or the adventure they promise, the memories they'll give us, tends to be fairly consumeristic, even self-centered. And that's not to say tourism is bad or, or vacation should be rejected. Not at all. I take my fair share. But it is to say that engaging the metaphor of pilgrimage can be a bit more challenging to us because it's outside our wheelhouse. And what's more, I think when we engage our spiritual journey with the posture of a tourist, I would argue we do damage to our very souls. And I'm afraid the spiritual tourism, I think, is more the norm than the exception in the modern Western church. We often want this journey with God that requires little of us, but promises us all the goods, right? Eternal assurance, emotionally fulfilling experiences of worship, teaching that gives us three simple points of application that we can plug into our everyday lives. But pilgrimage... Pilgrimage requires sacrifice, worship that's not all about what we receive from it, but about what we offer to God, teaching that doesn't somehow conform to our everyday lives, but rather challenges us to completely reorient our everyday lives into the character of the kingdom, which is why, as we saw in Psalm 120, the very start of this journey through these songs of ascent, it begins with repentance. Repentance. Repentance alone will get our feet pointed in the right direction, walking along the correct path to our desired destination. Repentance invites us to turn from a life built on the fleeting pleasures and momentary highs that the world promises us, choosing instead to pursue the kingdom and the deep and lasting treasures that it promises. And discipleship alone trains us for that journey. Thankfully, God doesn't expect us to be fully ready To have what we need to complete the journey when we first start out. Rather, God promises to equip us with what we need along the way if we choose to stay engaged with this journey of discipleship. Uh, As we mentioned earlier in this sermon series, for those of us in the room training to run the Twin Cities Marathon this fall uh, with Team World Vision, marathon training offers unique insight, I think, into the discipleship journey. I mean, if, if you had never run a marathon before or never done any long distance running, then you certainly weren't equipped at the start of your training to complete a marathon. You probably would have killed yourself. But you took the crucial first steps of turning from your comfortable couch, lacing up your running shoes, stepping onto the pavement, following the training plan, and now you find yourself nearing the destination. I mean, just over a month away from closing in on the potential of an accomplishment that you may never have thought Possible before you are becoming a marathon runner. And discipleship's like that. Being a spiritual pilgrim, not a spiritual tourist, is like that. It doesn't promise that the moment we say yes to following Jesus, we'll be able to nail it, or that we're going to experience this state of constant spiritual bliss from the onset. But discipleship does promise that if we stick by his side, Jesus will never fail us. He will equip us for the journey and lead us to a destination we never would have dared to dream of prior to beginning the pilgrimage. So again, we have two Hebrew words that are translated as "bless" in our English Bibles. Again, the first, "asher" or happiness often, but that's not the word for blessed that we see used three times here in Psalm 134. The Hebrew word for blessing used here, rather, is barak. And this Hebrew word for blessing is not alternatively translated as happiness. This is a nitty-gritty kind of blessing. This is no tourist blessing. This is a pilgrim's kind of blessing. And anyone want to guess how this word for blessing could also be translated? The correct answer is to kneel. To kneel. So let's think about that for a minute. Uh, what comes to mind when you think of kneeling? And I'm, I'm throwing that out. I want I want to hear your responses. What connotations come to mind when you think of someone kneeling? Submission. Submission. Yeah. What else? Honor. Honor. Yeah, that's good. Humility. Humility. Yes. Anything else? Reverence. Reverence. Yeah, those are good, and, and, and we're going to actually dive deeper right now into some of those because there is this, this connection between kneeling and blessing, and again, we see the psalmist exhorting the community of the faithful, come bless the Lord, and those words can be read as both an invitation and as a command, come bless the Lord, after all, having arrived at the place of worship after our long journey, what else should we expect to do? And the psalmist offers this invitation to the servants of the Lord. That's the phrase the psalmist uses, which I think goes along with this posture of kneeling, of homage to a superior, of of reverence, of humility that's displayed in the act of kneeling. And then the psalmist says, lift up your hands and bless the Lord. And when the psalmist urges us to raise our hands, I don't want us to merely picture someone lifting their hands in worship as they're singing a song. Uh, that doesn't nearly get us close to the posture that I think is referred to here. Rather, I want you to think of, of what a young child will do in a moment of maybe desperation or wanting comfort or security from their parent. I mean, they, they raise their hands to their parents, don't they? It's, it's this gesture that requires no words to communicate its need and dependence And so raising our hands as we bless God is a further display of our dependence on God. It reminds us of God's sovereignty. Uh, Now, it's possible in a setting like this, in a worship setting, that some might want to resist the psalmist's command to lift up our hands and bless God by saying, you know what, I just don't feel like it today. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. It just wouldn't be honest or authentic if I tried to bless God when I don't feel like blessing God. The idea here being that worship should always flow from a desire we have to worship God, that that anything else would be hypocritical or going through the motions. But to that train of thought, Peterson offers the following somewhat cheeky uh, response. He writes The biblical response to that is lift up your praising hands to the holy place and bless God. You can lift up your hands regardless of how you feel. It is a simple motor movement. You may not be able to command your heart, but you can command your arms. Lift your arms in blessing. Just maybe your heart will get the message and be lifted up also in praise. We are psychosomatic beings. Body and spirit are intricately interrelated. Go through the motions of blessing God, and your spirit will pick up the cue and follow along. Many think that the only way to change your behavior is to first change your feelings. But there's an older wisdom that puts it differently. By changing our behavior, we can change our feelings. Feelings don't run the show. There's a reality deeper than our feelings. Live by that. And that kind of mentality and posture towards our worship and our faith has enormous implications for the life of discipleship. Along those lines, uh, my theological man crush, N.T. Wright, uh, in his book titled, After You Believe, Why Christian Character Matters, he makes a similar point to Peterson when he writes this, Virtue is what happens when someone has made a thousand small choices requiring effort and concentration to do something which is good and right, but which doesn't come naturally. And then, on the thousand and first time, when it really matters, they find that they do what's required automatically, automatically. Virtue is what happens when wise and courageous choices become second nature. Again, it's like training for a marathon. Walking the road of discipleship means living in such a way that our lives increasingly reflect what it would look like if Jesus were to walk in our shoes. And if we want to live into that kind of life, the Jesus-looking life, where we pick up our cross, where we lay down our lives, where we love our enemies, if we want to walk that road, And if we wait to walk that road until we feel like it, we're not likely ever to even take the first step. But if we heed the psalmist's call, if if we repent and walk this pilgrim's road, bless God whether we feel like it or not, we might find that our lives actually start to take on the character of Jesus, often without us even realizing it. The life of discipleship becomes second nature, the previously unthinkable will become our new baseline normal. Come, bless the Lord. Blessing is what we find at the end of this road. Uh, But the blessing doesn't stop there. Yes, the first two blessings are those we are invited to direct towards God from the posture of servanthood. We kneel before God in worship, recognizing our humble position before him and recognizing God's goodness and beauty. And I suppose that ending our pilgrimage journey in that fashion should hardly be surprising to us. After all, it's, it's what we set out to do in the first place, to, to enter God's presence, to humble ourselves before him in awe. But the story doesn't end there. This God has one final surprise in store for us. After all, we've come to worship a God of surprises, which is perhaps one of my favorite qualities of God's. Because you see, after we have knelt before God, blessing Him, lifting our hands to Him, God flips the script. The final blessing belongs to God directed towards us. The psalmist writes, May the Lord bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. In many ways, this final verse acts as almost a benediction to all of these psalms of ascents, but more than a benediction, we see here a mutuality of blessing between God and the people, a mutuality that reflects the genuine relationship that God has with humanity based ultimately in God's redeeming love. And yet in this benediction where where God blesses us, again, it's this word barak the psalmist uses, which again can be translated as to kneel, And as I said a moment ago, we arrive at this journey expecting to humbly kneel before God. But here the journey ends with God, in turn, humbly kneeling before the people. I mean, what do we do with that? And I I don't know about you, but I see Jesus in that. I think there's a strong sense here that God voluntarily takes on the servant role that belongs to the people. This mutuality between God and his people displays God's willingness to be vulnerable for our sakes. It flows from God's decision to take responsibility of providing for his people. As Peterson puts it, when God enters covenant with us, he pours out his own life for us. He shares the goodness of his spirit, the vitality of his creation, the joys of his redemption. He empties himself among us and we get what he is. That is blessing. God gets down on his knees among us, gets on our level, and shares himself with us. He does not reside far off and send us diplomatic messages. He kneels among us. That posture is characteristic of God. The discovery and realization of this is what defines what we know of God as good news. God shares himself generously and graciously. This God, says Peterson, is a God who stoops, who stoops. This final verse in the Psalms of Ascents is a signpost to Jesus. And it's in this surprising encounter where we come to kneel before God and bless him only to have him kneel in mutual vulnerability and bless us. It is that God and that blessing that promises endless delight and fuel for a thousand more pilgrim journeys. Because after all, even when we've reached the destination of one discipleship adventure, we're still only beginning, which Team World Vision peeps, keep that one in mind. This might be your first marathon, but it might also not be your last, despite what your aching knees might be telling you right now. Because we reach our destination, and sometimes it's only to recognize that at the end of that lies another journey for us to take. And so it's in that vein now as we, we wrap up our sermon series on a long obedience in the same direction that I want to give, uh, as we've done so many times in these past weeks, the final word to Eugene Peterson, to, to bring it all home, to tie the loose threads of this journey together. And he writes this The first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is what is the chief end of man? What is the final purpose? What is the main thing about us? Where are we going and what will we do when we get there? The answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Glorify. Enjoy. These are th- there are other things involved in Christian discipleship. The songs of Ascent have shown some of them. But it is extremely important to know the one thing that overrides everything else. The main thing is not work for the Lord It is not suffering in the name of the Lord. It is not witnessing to the Lord. It is not teaching Sunday school for the Lord. It is not being responsible for the sake of the Lord in the community. It is not keeping the Ten Commandments, not loving your neighbor, not observing the golden rule. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Or, in the vocabulary of Psalm 134, bless the Lord. God is personal reality to be enjoyed. We are so created and so redeemed that we are capable of enjoying God. All the movements of discipleship arrive at a place where joy is experienced. Every step of ascent towards God develops the capacity to enjoy. Not only is there increasingly more to be enjoyed, there is steadily the acquired ability to enjoy it. And best of all, We don't have to wait until we get to the end of the road before we enjoy what's at the end of the road. So, come, bless the Lord, and the Lord bless you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me.